0: And you can get an extra three months free expressvpn.com slash slash film
1: hello everyone and welcome to slash film daily for january 11th 2018 on today's show we're going to be diving into a bunch of news including the changing copyright laws 2018's dga award nominations a black widow and gambit movie uh and fox is shifting a lot of their superhero release dates and in the spoiler room we'll be talking a bit more about star wars last jedi including new secrets revealed the original ending of star wars the force awakens and ryan johnson's explanation of the questionable moment in the ending of that film this is peter serata And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Home Senior Writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Slash Home Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Okay, guys, why don't you join me over here by the water cooler? We have a lot on today's uh, docket, so hopefully we can get through all of it in under 40 minutes. That is the goal. This
2: water is really good, too.
1: Oh yeah, it, it, I mean it's from the slash film water cooler, so it, so it has to be refreshing and uh, and, and and good. Uh, okay, so Brad, what what have you been up to? Have you been watching movies?
2: I have, yeah. I keep catching up on some stuff that I uh, missed last year. I just got around to watching Darren Aronofsky's Mother or Mother, um, and I, I really enjoyed it. Actually, it's it's very odd. Don't get me wrong, but um, I I kind of understood what he was doing and. Uh, what what was happening in the movie, so yeah, I find myself really liking it. It's not a movie that I can see myself revisiting very often, uh, but I was I was glad that I got around to watching it. And I also watched uh, Last Flag Flying, which is kind of an understated um, war drama um, from Richard Linklater. It stars Steve Carell and Lawrence Fishburne and Bryan Cranston as these uh, three Vietnam vets who go on this road trip after Steve Carell's Son who also uh, enlisted in the Marine Corps dies in Iraq in 2003, um, and I was uh, I'm kind of surprised that this movie is not getting more awards buzz. It's this very uh, mature uh, war drama with uh, fantastic performances, um, very character driven, and I, I really enjoyed it. Brian Cranston was especially fantastic in this movie, but the all three of these guys are, are, are fantastic in it, and I, I wish it was getting a little bit more uh, awards buzz because I think it deserves it.
1: Interesting. I'll have to check it out. Uh, Richard Linklater is is one of those filmmakers that's either, you know, love it or leave it for me. And I I thought this film was going to be one of those films that I wasn't going to have to check out from him. But uh, it sounds like uh, it sounds like you liked it. So I'm going to have to check it out. Uh, Ben, what have you been up to?
0: I've been catching up with Saga, which is a comic from Brian K. Vaughn that is years old at this point. I think the original uh, issues first came out in like 2011 or 2012 or something, but I'm finally getting around to it. I know, Peter, you're a fan. Uh, Jacob Hall, who is the managing editor of Slashfilm, is a big fan as well. And just hearing you guys talk about it over the past few months, sort of as like news stories have popped up here and there about maybe a potential movie happening or or in more cases uh, not happening. Happening, um, it has, has really sort of piqued my interest. So I finally got my hands on the first volume, like volume one, the, the collection, the trade paperback collection of, uh, of the first few issues. And this is a really, really fascinating, um, sci-fi story. It's like a, a bizarre sort of Romeo and Juliet meets Star Wars meets Lord of the Rings kind of thing. It's really tough to describe because the world is so unique and interesting. Um, the official description says when two soldiers from opposite sides of a never ending galactic war fall in love, they risk everything to bring a fragile new life into a dangerous old universe. Uh, saga is the sweeping tale of one young family fighting to find their place in the world's fantasy and science fiction are wed like never before in this sexy, subversive drama for adults. And yeah, I mean, there's like some graphic sex stuff in this that I was not really expecting, um, but it, it definitely feels like a, uh, a mature... Um, comic that is uh, in line with the stuff that Brian K. Vaughn has done before. I'm a big fan of Why the Last Man, which is a comic that he uh, was responsible for. And this sort of I mean, it feels totally different, but you can tell that the voice uh, behind it is the same. It's somebody who's interested in grappling with um, with uh, sort of fascinating new takes on, uh, uh, I guess, familiar tropes. Um, and I can't really say much more about it without spoiling anything. And I would encourage people to dive in. I, I like I said, I've just read volume one, um, but I ordered on Amazon the next, uh, three or four volumes. So I'm excited to, uh, to dig into those whenever I get a second.
1: You're all in, um, <laughs> the, uh, I, I love saga. I love how different it is. I love how, uh, you know, I'd love to see the world. Adapted into a TV show or a movie, but, like, it's almost like – I mean, I know Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona uh, Staples have both said that they kind of created this with the idea of it never of, – of it not being possible to adapt it to another medium. Yeah. Um, I still think it's possible, but uh, I don't
0: think it would be possible to – to uh capture everything
1: that yeah is. and
0: and not for nothing, uh, George R. R. Martin created a song of Ice and Fire specifically to not be adaptable, and that was obviously adapted into Game of Thrones, so it, it sometimes it 's possible
1: <laughs> um, and uh i 'll talk about um last night, I presented award at the first ever Los Angeles online Film Critics society awards. Uh, this award uh, society started this year, I was part of their inaugural members um it's uh a group of uh film critics in los angeles as the as the uh the name suggests uh mostly writing online uh it's a cool group because a lot of film critics uh only take people that write uh film criticism in 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 text form of some kind and some people won't even take people that write online the the cool thing about this is we have some members that you know uh, do active reviews on YouTube and, you know, have, have a large audience in that capacity or podcasts like me. Um, you know, so it's not just text, uh, in, in the society as a whole is very cool and very progressive. Uh, half of the inaugural class is female. Um, so we're, you know, they're trying to push, uh, the barriers of, of making it equal and, um, and the, the first – we had our first awards last night, which I expected to be – well, first of all, I'd, when I, I got <laughs> accepted into this uh, society, I didn't expect there to be an award show. Most of these – like these critic societies just release the award n- uh, results online and don't actually have a award show. But, uh, you know, they pulled out all the stops. We, we had this huge award ceremony in like a – spectacular venue a lot of the people that were there you know that had been to like you know some of the bigger award shows uh were saying that (laughs) <laughs> that our food was better our presentation was better which is you know maybe they're just saying it but it was insane because uh there were some big people there uh Guillermo del Toro was there to accept uh, uh best feature for the shape of water uh Sally Hawkins was there and she brought the entire crowd to tears uh Jessica Chastain uh got a trailblazer award and uh, her speech was just so great uh Gary Oldman, Edgar Wright—there was just so many people that actually showed up, and I was—I was so surprised at how great this event was, and uh, I was present presenting. Uh, Well, I should say this, uh, you know, as we're trying to be progressive, so uh, I think I talked in the podcast in the past, we have a best female director and best male director. Uh, We have some uh, categories like best stunts. Uh, I I really fought for one of these categories, which is best visual effects slash animated performance. Uh, because, you know, I, I think, you know, the tides are changing, the live action films are becoming more, uh, visual effects heavy and we're getting more, uh, stuff like avatar and, you know, jungle book and, uh, and, uh, war for the planet apes. And, uh, that was what won, uh, that award, which I presented that in the visual effects, uh, and, uh, Andy Serkis was not there to accept, but the award was, uh, a combined award, uh awarded to both Andy Circus and Weta and w the people the wizards from Weta were there to accept. It was just a fantastic evening all around. Uh it was not broadcast anywhere. I think it was taped and will be put on YouTube. I'm not sure who will watch it, but there's uh there's really a spectacular two two speeches on there that uh I, I, if it is put on YouTube I will post on the site at a later date. It it was a lot of fun. Um and uh I feel so lucky to be part of this organization, and uh, it's it's uh, one to watch, for sure. Um, but let's go from there to the news, and let's talk about some other awards. Uh, the 2018 Directors Guild Award nominations have been announced. Brad, what do we know?
2: Yeah, so uh, the Re- Directors Guild Awards are one of those awards um, that is a good predecessor and predictor to the uh, Academy Awards coming up here soon um the nominations will be announced sometime later this month and for the director's guild awards we finally got to see Greta Gerwig get a major director nomination that she has so rightfully deserved for a while now uh for those who don't know Greta Gerwig is the director of Ladybird. um and it, when, when it comes to certain awards she's been uh locked out from getting a director nomination there have been a lot of uh, male nominees this season uh, despite the fact that there are plenty of female directors who, with movies that are awards contenders. So Greta Gerwig was finally given a nomination alongside Guillermo del Toro for Shape of Water, uh, Martin McDonough for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk, and Jordan Peel for Get Out. So it's a pretty great lineup, and it's fantastic that Greta Gerwig was included among them. Um, in addition, Jordan Peel actually got two DGA nominees because he was also given a nomination in the outstanding directorial achievement of a first-time feature film director which also includes uh Aaron Sorkin for Molly's Game Taylor Sheridan for Wind River William Oldroyd for Lady Macbeth and Jeremy Jasper for Patty Cakes so uh, there's a good lineup this year for DJ nominees if you want to see the full list of uh Directors Guild award nominees for uh, the films that were released in 2017, you can check out the full article on slash film. There's nominees for feature film documentary, as well as, uh, on the television side for dramatic series, comedy series and, uh, made for TV movies and miniseries.
1: Okay. Let's move on from the exciting topic of year end awards to, uh, the maybe not so exciting topic of uh, copyrights, um, but I think this is something important to talk about. There's some some meaty stuff here. Um, there uh, was, uh, there's kind of like this. It, well, actually, I'm going to have Ben uh, explain this because he's the one that wrote this article for the site, which is titled "What Does It Mean for Hollywood If Another Copyright Extension Doesn't Pass This Year?" Uh, so, Ben, what does it mean?
0: OK, so strap in because copyright law is not the most exciting stuff. But uh, I yeah, as Peter mentioned, there's some interesting things, interesting little factoids and things to consider here. So um, I guess a little bit of background when the Steamboat Willie uh, Mickey Mouse cartoon was about to enter the public domain back in the 1970s. Disney and a bunch of other movie studios and and sort of record companies and stuff sort of teamed up to uh, lobby the government to secure a copyright extension that delayed the expiration of Steamboat Willie and a lot of other non Disney stuff. And then that happened again in the late 1990s. And
1: it it should be noted if those copyrights had expired, that wouldn't just expire that film, but also the character of Mickey Mouse. So, you know, theoretically,
0: another company could make a Mickey
1: Mouse cartoon.
0: Right, I so I I think that's true. I had trouble sort of tracking down the exact um specifics because a lot of this stuff is really nebulous and really difficult to to pin down. But I think there's also a trademark law that that works sort of parallel with copyright law. So Disney I think has a trademark on the character of Mickey Mouse. So even if the copyright uh, fell into public domain. I think people still might not be able to use that character because of the trademark law that's in place. So that's maybe a bad example for this. But anyway, the long story, the long ver- or the, the short version of this very long story is that if the movie studios uh, do not plan to lobby Congress this year to get to pass another extension, every single book, film, or song that was published in the year 1923 will enter the public domain on January 1st, 2019. So that's sort of an interesting thing. Um, you know, what does that have any, you know, what does that have to do with Hollywood? My uh, theory is not really that much because we've seen um Hollywood over the past probably decade and maybe a little bit more really lean into the idea of adapting properties that are in public domain simply because they have name recognition for audiences. And people will be like, oh, we recognize that. Let's go see that movie about that character or that person or whatever. But, um, you know, last year there were a, last year was a, a pretty much a bloodbath at the movie theater. There were there were not um, like revenues may be up but ticket sales are way way down last summer the summer of 2017 was one of the worst summers movie going summers in recent memory uh and part of that is because of movies like king arthur legend of the sword which is exactly one of these movies that i'm talking about that is like adapted based on you know on an idea that or a character that is in the public domain so my thought is because hollywood is so um, sort of risk averse and and very uh, into trends and, and you know, making sure that they're not the ones who are uh, held uh, responsible. And, and, you know, there are all of these uh, these sort of um, strategies that Hollywood studios have been going through for a long time now. Um, I'm wondering if even if these things do come into the public domain, I don't really see studios like, you know, snapping up a bunch of properties that were originally published in 1923. But uh, but you can go. I mean, this article gets way more in depth into all of this stuff. So if you're even remotely interested in this, I would highly recommend checking out this article. We'll link to it in the show notes. But do you guys have any thoughts about this sort of uh, in general?
1: I mean, I mean, I I think for the most part, I'm interested more in the aspect of of like the Mickey Mouse situation of it not being that film, because I don't think like, you know, another studio is going to take that film and air that film. Do you know what I mean? Like no one's going to be selling Steamboat Willie and, and uh, be making money off that. I think I'm more interested in like characters becoming uncopyrighted. Like I know like, you know, Buck Rogers or Sherlock Holmes, like there, there are ones that have fallen out of copyright that now are being used, um, you know, by anyone that wants to, to use those uh, characters And that. I think for a company like disney could be very detrimental because of uh you know i don't like you said we don't know how trademark trumps that or not Mm -hmm. but um if that were to happen uh you know mickey mouse it's this very wholesome character Mm -hmm. and with disney not having uh full creative control over that character it could be could be very strange
0: yeah, and the the Steamboat Willie copyright now isn't uh, set to expire until 2024, so theoretically sometime between now and then, Disney will have to sort of ramp up their lobbying efforts to make sure that that uh, character and, and property doesn't fall into public domain, but that I guess will be the time when we really um, see what that specific instance looks like. But yeah, in the meantime, I am wondering if like other studios can pull like a, uh, like a who frame Roger rabbit sort of situation and just pull in or or like a Wreck-It Ralph or something, you know, a bunch of different characters interacting in the same cinematic world. Um, And even though, you know, they may be more famously known for appearing in a rival studios movies way back in the day. Yeah. Um,
1: we'll have to keep a keep an eye on this. We don't know if you know it will be extended or not, but as of right now, it doesn't look like it. Uh, so, anyways, let's move on to superhero land. Uh, and first with the story that hit yesterday after we recorded the podcast, Marvel has finally announced development on a Black Widow movie. Brad, what do we know?
2: So, a Black Widow movie has been kind of in the works for a while simply because <clears throat> Kevin Feige and Scarlett Johansson have talked about it here and there and they've always been asked about it, and they keep saying uh, you know, it's still in the works, still trying to figure out we want to do it, blah, 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 blah but they never got around to doing it so now we finally have some real movement in the development department because Marvel Studios has hired writer Jack Schaefer uh, to write the script for the movie um, and uh, she's uh, previously known for uh, writing a script called The Shower, which ended up on the blacklist, uh, which is the, um, the list of the best unproduced screenplays that have been making the rounds in Hollywood that various agents and managers and whatnot vote on each year. Um, apparently, uh, she also wrote a comedy called Nasty Women, which is like a female-centric remake of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels that caught the attention of Anne Hathaway, which is uh, currently in the works as well. So she's uh definitely an up and coming writer somebody who is uh you know hasn't done a project like this before but the fact that they've hired a writer is exciting in and of itself simply because it means we're finally going to get a movie that fans have wanted for years now but the question now that we're running into is you know what kind of movie are we looking at because we've this is a character that we've seen in six different Marvel movies now uh we've gotten a lot of the spy stuff on the side you know a lot of people have said they would like to see a a Black Widow movie where she's teamed with Hawkeye. Uh, maybe the going back on oh, the whole thing where they talk about Budapest from the uh, original Avengers, that kind of thing. But it's tough to say what's how this is going to play out because with a fi- Infinity War coming up, all bets are off as to which superheroes are going to survive. Um, we don't know which superheroes are going to survive Avengers 4, so does this imply that Black Widow will survive both of those movies? Or... Could This easily be a movie that takes place before the events of the Avengers, some kind of origin story. It's tough to say. Um, there are a lot of different comic book stories that could be used to for a Black Widow movie. Um, but a lot of them, you know, do involve spy stuff, and we're, we're getting a lot of female driven spy movies already with Atomic Blonde and Red Sparrow. So, uh, hopefully, Marvel has a good idea of what they're doing with this character and that the solo movie isn't too little too late and doesn't go to waste and actually give Scarlett Johansson something good to do.
1: Yeah. I I would have to think if Disney and Kevin Feige are moving forward with a Black Widow movie that they have some kind of interesting take on the character, like, you know, some kind of interesting genre take or something. I don't know. It just feels like that they're, they can't be going for that same thing that Red Sparrow is going for because, you know, they're going to be late to the market on that. Um, be- uh, Ben do you have any thoughts on this
0: uh, I sort of yeah I'm thinking the same thing and I'm also wondering like I-, I sort of assumed that Scarlett Johansson would be done playing Black Widow after Avengers 4 because she's part of uh, you know that pretty early lineup of MCU superstars and we you know have always sort of assumed that a lot of them their contracts would be ending and uh, they would be sort of uh, making way for the new generation you know people like Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and like Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly, you know, to sort of step up and and fill those places in whatever the future of the MCU looks like. So it's interesting that they're now thinking about making a Black Widow movie because that means that either she survives the events of uh, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers 4 or they're thinking about a prequel. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it's obviously still too early to tell, but, uh, but just the fact that they're putting the film into development now, um, is sort of fascinating to me. There,
1: there is also the possibility of a reboot, you know, we, we talk about reboots in movies, but reboots were a thing in comics way before, you know, it was like a big thing in movies and, you know, every year or so, you know, every few years they, they will reboot a character. So I, it, the, the events of infinity war and Avengers four could dramatically change, The face of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and there is also the possibility that they could cast someone new as Black Widow, uh, for whatever reason. You know, the 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 universe has completely changed, and uh, you know they, but yeah, who knows? Uh, those are our best guesses. Um, let's let's jump over to Fox now. Um, Gambit, which has been long in development, has lost yet another director. Ben, is this movie ever going to get made? (laughs)
0: <laughs> I really don't know. So Gore Verbinski, who, who is the latest director to uh, attach himself to 20th Century Fox's Gambit spinoff, has now left the project. So that he, I think he's the third director to leave, following uh, Rupert Wyatt, who directed Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and the Born Identity director Doug Lyman. Um, So right now, this project is just sort of hanging out in the wind. Um, we don't know what's going on with it. Uh, originally, it was it had a uh, a release date of February of 2019. Uh, and as recently as this week, uh, a website was reporting that, uh, production was supposed to begin on March 19th of this year. But I, now that, uh, that, uh, Gore Verbinski is gone. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, in addition to th- this gambit, or I guess in the wake of this gambit news, 20th century Fox released a bunch of new, um, uh, release date changes for their upcoming X-Men spinoff movies. So, Gambit has been moved now from its original February fourteenth, twenty nineteen date, back to June seventh of twenty nineteen. So that means that it's going to be a summer movie now. If you know, assuming it ever gets made, assuming they figure out a director and and you know get everything in place for production to actually take place in time. Uh, in terms of other uh, Fox, re- you know, X Men related movie uh, release date changes, Deadpool two is actually moving up two weeks uh, so now instead of opening on June 1st of this year it's going to open on May 18th so that's pretty cool because it puts it one week before uh, Solo a Star Wars story hits theaters so it'll give uh, Deadpool 2 you know one week at least to shine and, and you know have the box office basically all to itself before and a cu- uh, couple weeks after Avengers right? Uh, I th- yes I think you're right I think it's like May 4th or something or right around there now, for, now, t- uh,
1: tell me this like you know Fox has not completely been acquired by Disney yet, but you think right. a company that was being acquired by Disney would not put one of their big films sandwiched between Avengers and Han Solo. I
2: mean, well why not well why not though? If if Disney's buying Fox, then that money's gonna be theirs anyway. Yeah, but
1: wouldn't you want more money? Like it seems like let's get the hell away from Han Solo in the Avengers.
2: I mean I, it's I mean it's it's summer. They're gonna get that money no matter what.
0: That that is Yeah, I mean I I think probably the answer Peter is that the deal hasn't officially gone through yet and this is still the remnants of the people at Fox you know making uh, independent decisions without Disney oversight because I think you're right they would would maybe move it to like the end of the summer or even before summer because the original Deadpool um, opened in like a a February and did like gangbusters numbers because it didn't really have much competition at the time so uh, yeah I think if Disney had a say then they would probably um, probably give it a little bit more breathing room is
2: there there a chance that maybe that they know that maybe solo is going to get pushed back
0: oh that's interesting yeah that could be interesting huh yeah because we have not seen a trailer for that yet um so that's that's a possibility there's obviously been a lot of uh tumultuous stuff going on with that film but that's that's fascinating uh there's one more um Uh, x-men related release date shift that i wanted to mention and that one i think is the most important one and that is uh, new mutants the uh, upcoming sort of horror tinged movie that josh boone is directing uh has been pushed back from april of this year all the way until february 22nd 2019 that is a massive leap um you know often when movies get delayed that much it signals you know, problems behind the scenes and all sorts of troubles that, that uh, we may or may not know about yet. In this case, uh, the Hollywood Reporter's article says that their sources are telling them one reason for that delay is because Fox uh, does not want there to be confusion in some foreign markets where New Mutants and Deadpool 2 would have been in theaters at the same time if uh, New Mutants stuck with its April 2018 release date. I don't really know if i buy that. That sounds sort of like uh, a spin to me. I I don't really know if there would be, you know, Deadpool 2 and New Mutants. If you just watch the trailers for those two (laughs) things, Um, they're wildly different. And I, I just don't know, you know, what sort of confusion there there really would be between those two movies because yes there are definitely X-Men properties but like tonally and even visually they're they're so different so I'm not really sure if I buy that excuse but uh, you know just something to factor in
1: yeah we'll uh, we'll have to keep an eye on this see if uh, if Han Solo gets pushed back that that, would be interesting because there has been some rumors lately Uh, about some additional reshoots but we we have not been able to confirm that so i don't don't know if that's true or not but uh speaking of star wars uh we're gonna go into the spoiler room and talk about star wars last jedi yet again so if you have not seen star wars last jedi uh thank you for listening and uh you know leave us here uh but if you have seen star wars last jedi and I can't imagine you're listening to this and haven't seen that film at this point, but uh, we're going to get into spoilers in just two seconds. Let's start out with, um, there's a new video released by the Lucasfilm Story Group uh, revealing some of the secrets of Star Wars The Last Jedi. Brad, you wrote this up for the site. Uh, what are some of the more, more interesting reveals of this video?
2: Yeah, so this is, uh, it's a nearly 30-minute video that the Star Wars show released, so if you want all the details, you'll have to watch it yourself. Um, but some of the finer points that uh, I thought were kind of interesting were, um, featured the the crew, and th- this includes uh, Leland Chi, Pablo Hidago, Matt Martin, Rain Roberts, all members of the Lucasfilm Story Group. Uh, just talking about the some of the development stuff and some of the little interesting little details. And one of the recurring things that I I liked hearing was how they were talking about the way Ryan Johnson approached uh, certain elements that he wanted to introduce into Star Wars and how careful he was to make sure that he didn't, you know, step on any rules or things that had been established in the Star Wars universe before. Um, One specifically they talked about is uh, Admiral Haldo's famous Lightspeed Kamikaze move that takes out, you know, the entire First Order fleet of Star Destroyers and you know, he specifically asked uh, the story group, like, is, is this something that's possible? Does this violate any you know Star Wars physics that have been established? You know, can it, if a ship this size went to light speed and crashed into these ships, is this you know what would happen? Does this make sense? You know, is it plausible? So you know, you you get the idea that Ryan Johnson isn't somebody who's just willy nilly being like, here's an idea, I want to throw it into Star Wars and deal with it, and I don't care about you know any anything that the, the fans think or the mythology he's a fan just like we are. And he was very careful to run these decisions by the Lucasfilm story group, ask them how to make them work. And, you know, really wanted to make sure that it was something that fit in to the mythology of star Wars. Uh, so I, I just, I like that idea of hearing how dedicated he was to the cause of staying true to the core of what star Wars is and things that have been established before, even though some fans obviously think that he violated a lot of those rules.
1: <laughs> um, as much as I but- love that moment, Brad, uh, Part of me wonders if that, like, is kind of opening a new can of worms in this galaxy now that we've established that you could light speed a vehicle into another vehicle that, uh, why aren't there just kamikaze, you know, uh... Well, okay,
2: no, and there's, here, here's the answer to that, for, you know, for, for anybody who is curious is, first of all, the Resistance doesn't have a lot of resources at, at their availability. Like, the ships that we've seen are, are all they have. And so, they're not going to be doing these kamikaze missions all the time in the same way that... You know, we don't do kamikaze missions with, with our military, and, that, uh, and other armies don't do the same thing because you're still losing soldiers and you're still, you know, losing uh, vehicles and things like that. And so, part of what was discussed with this the kamikaze thing was like the ship has to be a certain size in order to do that much damage. And it did it. If an X Wing went to light speed and did that, it would not have the same effect whatsoever. So that's you have to think about the logistics of it, and also yeah. just just the fact that the resistance doesn't have those resources to keep you know crashing ships into star destroyers like that. That which is part of the reason why Leia is so upset that they lose all those bombers and resistance soldiers when they tackle that dreadnought at the beginning of the movie.
1: Yeah, and uh, I would recommend people check out this video, check out this article. There's a lot more on uh, you know secret cameos. There's a there's a great bit about um. Uh, the Leia hologram that that was they actually went into the archives and found a different angle of Leia that actually is Carrie Fisher uh, from you know a new hope to actually you know put in there which is actually very cool but there's a lot in there
2: what we also have a, a cool little gallery of images because within this video they played clips from Last Jedi that have not been released officially online such as The Haldo Lightspeed Kamikaze and also the face off between Luke Skywalker and Kylo Ren. So there's some awesome images of Mark Hamill as his force projection version of Luke that we uh, previously did not have at our disposal. Yeah.
1: And uh, previously on the podcast, we talked about how Star Wars The The Force Awakens had a different ending. Ryan Johnson, when he got uh, hired for Star Wars The Last Jedi, he asked JJ to change two things, one of them being uh you know not have bb-8 on octu uh because he wanted bb-8 with poe and the other thing something else that happens at the end of the film uh mark hamill had alluded to it we had speculated about it but we didn't know what this change was until now ben what do we know
0: so in a new interview with a Chinese language outlet, uh, Mark Campbell explained the mysterious ending, the original ending to The Force Awakens. So it, it basically involved the scene in which uh, Ray meets Luke Skywalker for the first time. And he his quote is, When we were doing The Force Awakens, Ryan said... We might have boulders floating to show your force emanating. So I was led to believe that I still had the force and it was really strong in me. When I read The Last Jedi before The Force Awakens came out, I said, what? And I called J.J. Abrams or Ryan to say, are you guys aware of this? Have you seen a cut? Are there floating boulders? And they said, no, we caught that and we worked it all out. So it seems like the original plan was to have uh, Luke just sort of hanging out on Octu with Uh, boulders just floating all around him as you know a visual signifier that the force was still strong with him but then once uh ryan johnson's script revealed that he had that luke had cut himself off from the force they wanted to make sure that that was consistent so they removed that part of the uh the force awakens ending
1: yeah no we had speculated that luke skywalker actually took the lightsaber and turned it on i i i i feel like that would have been the the better cut deleted scene but uh yeah this makes sense uh, it is also i think very uh it's a, it's a signal of how very little the filmmaker that is directing this current film has to do with the next one and how little of a plan there is do you know what i mean because uh much of the last jedi had to do with luke skywalker you know him shutting himself off from the force and if jj abrams didn't uh imagine that then it seems like he had almost no say in where they went with the last jedi which i know ryan johnson has said that they've kind of give gave him uh full range to do whatever he wanted uh so Mm -hmm. yeah but let's um let's talk about what he did do and let's talk about the ending i know some people had some problems uh with the ending and there's also a questionable moment ryan johnson is now doing press and he has explained it for us uh brad what did he say
2: Yeah, so uh, in Luke Skywalker's last stand on Crate when he faces off with Kylo Ren, obviously we learn that this isn't actually Luke Skywalker. It's a Force projection of himself that Luke Skywalker is controlling from Ahch-To. So one of the bigger problems that people have had, um, aside from the sheer idea of uh, Luke Skywalker using the Force in this fashion... Um, is that they don't understand why Kylo Ren doesn't realize that when Luke Skywalker gets out the lightsaber that once belonged to Ben Solo's grandfather, Anakin Skywalker, why he doesn't realize that it's fake because that lightsaber was broken in half when Rey and Kylo were both using the Force to grab it. And there was this blast of energy that knocked Kylo Ren out and allowed Rey to escape afterwards. Uh, so Ryan Johnson has answered this and this is something that you can really kind of assume yourself it's actually exactly what I had assumed the explanation was about this but some people need these things explained to them you know very bluntly and clearly um, what Ryan Johnson has says uh, he also talks about why Luke appears younger than his the way he appears on octu and so Ryan Johnson says Luke's basically tailoring this projection to have maximum effect on Kylo he knows that Kylo's Achilles heel is his rage, and so that's why he makes himself look younger, the way Kylo would have last seen him in their confrontation at the temple, and that's why he decided to bring Kylo's grandfather's lightsaber down there. The lightsaber that Kylo uh, screamed at Rey, that lightsaber belongs to me. As far as Johnson's concerned, Luke believes that Anakin's lightsaber will have a much more visceral impact on the erstwhile Ben Solo than Luke's own green blade. Uh, Johnson also adds, we as an audience see that uh, the truth is we see the lightsaber split in half Kylo sees a blinding flash of light and is knocked unconscious. Rey takes the lightsaber away before he wakes up. So if you really want to dig into it and get an explanation, you can say that he doesn't 100% know what happened to the lightsaber, which is clear. There's no way for him to know because as far as he knows, he wakes up, lightsaber's gone. He knows Rey's been in contact with Luke. So, of course, she could easily give it to Luke. Luke shows up, has the lightsaber. He has no idea that it's, it's broken or anything like that. And if you think it's silly that Kylo Ren doesn't remember that, uh, Go ahead and knock yourself out and tell me how much you remember <laughs> le- leading leading up to that point. Anybody who's been knocked unconscious knows that you don't exactly remember what happened just before you got knocked out. Yeah. So, now,
1: I, you know, I never had a problem with the lightsaber thing. And not that I have a problem with how Luke presents himself. But, like, it did seem like a strange decision to me when I was watching the film because I was like, this isn't how Luke lo- looks and, like, what's going on here? Uh, and it's almost as if they wanted to signal to the audience that something was going on uh without giving it away because obviously there's there's that moment of realization that he's still an octu. um but hearing ryan johnson's explanation of it uh makes a whole lot more sense of why he would project himself in that manner um you know i i, 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 w- I, w- I want to continue my my uh my reputation as being the last jedi debbie downer <laughs> to uh, present my case against the Star Wars Last Jedi ending to you guys and, see, and, and, and hear what you guys think. Uh, I think the, the, the only thing that bothers me about the Last Jedi ending is um, that it's kind of like the story that takes place in this fantasy world that in the last few minutes they introduce this magic ability that we've never seen before, and that's how the hero defeats the bad guy. And uh, it's not that it's not that me. I I I have no problem with the force having the ability to astral project you to another place, and I like that. I love the fact that if you do it that far of a place, it's going to kill you because then that makes it not a you know uh, overused ability that could you know break the world of this story. Um, but I really do feel like they should have set this up a little bit. They they I feel like the easy way would have been to actually have Luke training Ray at some point, right. To have him teach her the ability to force project herself to another part of the Island. And in that, that teaching somehow explain that you can't go any further to go further. It would kill yourself or something. Do you know what I mean like, and have it be like very subtly written by Ryan Johnson in a way that it doesn't like set it up and make it seem like, Oh, I know what's going to happen in the, in the ending. Uh, I, I don't know. I have problem. I have real problems that they did not. That this is this is kind of like, um, you know, a bat- like a, the end of a movie. A good guy going into the end of the movie, and he has this gigantic weapon that we've never seen in the into- whole rest of this franchise, and we just assume that he had it all along.
2: I think I would have a problem with that if what he did actually resulted in the defeat of the first order or of Kylo Ren, but it doesn't. All it does, all it is, is a a, a distraction to allow the Resistance to escape, and B, a spark that signals to other people around the galaxy that Luke Skywalker is still alive. Look at this amazing thing he did. He is the legend we all believed in. We need to keep fighting against the First Order. So, sure, if Luke Skywalker project- force-projected himself and was, you know, this a crazy lightsaber warrior and was, like, dueling with Kylo Ren and cutting down ATM-6s, you know, by their legs and, and stuff like that... Then I'd be like, well, that's a little ridiculous. Well, well, tell me this: why,
1: why doesn't he? Like, I feel like wouldn't, if he had showed up there in person? I'm just presenting an argument here. This isn't what I believe, but if he had showed up there in person on crate and you know destroyed like these ATAT walkers with his like force abilities and you know uh, killed most of the First Order that's there, wouldn't that have Sent a story of Luke Skywalker that's more than like he just oh he let the resist, he single handedly fought the the First Order but he let the Resistance escape like do you know what I mean like wouldn't that have sent a bigger message?
2: I mean, logistically, he he can't because he has no way of getting off the island.
1: Yes, and I I actually knew the answer to that. <laughs> um
0: in, in you know, sense, I, ideal or uh, ideologically too, you know, it makes yeah. a bigger statement for for him to be a pacifist in that moment than to you know, give in to rage or whatever, and, and, you know, just go nuts and go into berserker mode and slice all these things apart. I think, yeah. I think the statement, you know, that's being spread to the galaxy is, um, is like, look how amazing Luke is. And, and he didn't even have to kill anyone. And, you know, in this, pro- I think that's, that's like a, an important element of the legend of Luke Skywalker
1: oh for sure and a lot of people are going to signal to the x wing that we see below the water on octu uh it 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 has been uh it, it is no longer in use and uh i'm not sure if you've noticed this detail but it's in the art of the the last jedi but uh luke's hut on octu actually has salvaged metal from his X-wing, which means he can no longer use it, like has the door of the X-wing and stuff for the door or uh, the wing of his X-wing for the door of his hut, which is actually a pretty cool detail. Anyways. Yeah, no, I, I accept what you guys are saying here. Um, I, I, I still don't like the idea that a screenwriter or filmmaker can bring out a magical ability in the last, you know, 10 minutes of the movie that we didn't know was possible in this universe uh, without some kind of setup. And I feel like, it would have been very easy to do, but
0: um, I, I think a setup would have ruined the moment. And I know this is probably one of those cases where Ryan Johnson but, would would cop to wanting to preserve the surprise for everyone. Um, if you cornered him and, and asked him about that, I'm sure that's what he would say. Because any sort of you know the audience is so sophisticated that any sort of reference to that think- ability beforehand, you would be spending the entire rest of the movie distracted, wondering if anyone was actually there for the whole time you know i
1: don't know i feel like there is a clever way of doing that in that it doesn't like seem like a setup for something i but... think
2: that i think that the that it's already kind of set up in the way that if you buy into the fact that uh a jedi can essentially live past death as a spirit then there's no reason that a, a jedi could not project themselves you know across. <laughs>
1: I don't like, know. I, I I do not buy that. I they, I will say that they do say in the movie Kylo. I think when he sees Ray for the first time, you know, is questioning if she's really there, and he says, "Oh, you can't really be here. You'd you'd be kill, you know you'd kill yourself or something like that. Um, some kind of line like that." So that that's the only setup there is. But I feel like that's, I feel like that's really not enough. I feel like if this was not a Star Wars movie, I feel like, I feel like, us as critics would not give that much leeway in, in, in this uh in this in this ending i
2: actually i actually think that it, because the star wars movie i'm actually more critical of it and i'm perfectly fine with it
1: you, you do not sound like it brad you do not sound like it <laughs>
2: That's that simply that's simply because you are the Debbie Downer of Star Wars: The Last Jedi.
1: <laughs> By the way, Star Wars: The Last Jedi was on my top ten list, uh, which is more than I can say for all of the Slash Film staff. So, uh, I'm not sure. It was
2: on my, was on my for, top ten too. Yeah. It was on mine too. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. just saying, just saying. Like, it's not that I hate it. I, I know what I'm coming just off say, as they saying I,
2: wrong facts. <laughs> I,
1: I, no, well, I wasn't talking about you guys. i was saying like the whole, whole collective Slash Film uh, staff, uh, but the uh i don't hate the movie guys i know i'm getting a lot of emails like why do not you like this movie so much i just have like these nitpicks and uh I, I i gotta voice them to someone because if i if i voice them on twitter people just accuse me of being like one of those annoying star wars fans that are attacking mark hamill you know i'm not that guy i'm not the you know i have some logistical problems but um anyways yeah That does it for today's episode. You can find more of all the stories we mentioned on today's show on slashfilm.com and linked in the show notes. Slashfilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and television, as well as deeper dives into the great features from slashfilm.com. You can subscribe to this podcast, Slashfilm Daily, on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions from the mailbag, or comments to peter at slashfilm.com. Please go rate and review us on iTunes, spread the word, tell your friends, and we will see you tomorrow.